a wonderful, wonderful privilege and a blessing to be with you this morning. And what a great honor we have to worship the God of heaven. And as we've already mentioned in our prayers, that we're hopefully doing this in spirit and in truth. And of course, let's always remember that God is the judge of that, because God is the audience. And he's the one that we're striving to worship, because he is worthy. And we want to do things in accordance with his will. And again, just thankful that we can be here. Thankful for all of our visitors, all of our guests. Uh, we certainly appreciate you. We hope that you'll stay with us this afternoon. Uh, but as always, we're honored to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. As Brother Paul mentioned, if you get an opportunity to, to write out a card, fill out a card and give that to us, just really, really excited that you're here with us. We're going to continue our study this morning. We're in the midst of a series of the book of First John. And so the last two Sundays, we've worked through this. We looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2, so naturally flowing this morning. We're going to be in First John chapter 3. And as we work through this great chapter, let's remember what John is emphasizing. The whole purpose of this book is that we can have assurance as Christians, that we can have confidence in our salvation because of what Jesus did for us and by our response by faith to what God has revealed. We should and we must have that confidence and assurance that we can live every day now in preparation for eternity. In 1 John chapter 1, John emphasized that we have fellowship with God and fellowship with others who too are in fellowship with God as we meet the condition of walking in the light. We spent time talking about what that looks like. Of course, walking in the light is not sinless perfection. It's going in the right direction. When I mess up as a Christian, when I mess up, I handle it God's way. I get right back on track and I keep moving forward. That's the emphasis of walking in the light. That includes confessing our sins when we make mistakes. But we have that promise that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Last week in 1 John chapter 2, we emphasized that Jesus is our advocate, like a lawyer pleading our case before the Father. We talked about the fact that we are to stay true to God and we can truly know Him if we keep on keeping His commandments. John emphasized that we are not to love the world, but rather we are to love God and love God's children. And that's going to be the identifying mark of a true child of God. And that's a perfect segue that as John writes into chapter 3, he flows beautifully at the end of chapter 2 with his thought of abiding in Jesus. It's what we are to do today as the children of God. So let's pick up as we begin just reading from 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 through chapter 3 and verse 1 and then we will pick up our study. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. As we get into our study, looking about that introduction, the sermon title this morning is The Opportunity That We Have to Destroy All Doubt. You and I as Christians, we need to allow our faith to overcome our doubt. Our faith to overcome our fear. How miserable would it be as a faithful child of God to live every day wondering, am I saved or am I not? If Jesus comes back today, would I hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart, I never knew you? If I have to wonder, if I'm bouncing back and forth, then there's something wrong. Not with God but with me. 
I've got to make sure that I am conforming to what God has said to do, not conforming to the world, not conforming to my own doubts and fears. If God says I'm his child, guess what that means? I'm his child. If God says you are saved by the blood of my dear son, guess what that means? I'm saved by the blood of his dear son. If God says I promised you eternal life, what does that mean? I have eternal life awaiting me so long as I keep on meeting those conditions and living the way God would have me to live. I can have confidence. First, let's think about the condition. As we look at verses 1 through 3, we've already emphasized verse 1. We are the children of God, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. In the first place, notice who we are. We are children of God. Brethren, that's something that we don't need to take lightly. That's something that ought to humble us. And at the same time, it's something that ought to excite us. We call the God of this universe our Father. That should motivate me every day to live in such a way that honors and glorifies Him. He is my Father. As great and as, as big as God is, He listens to me as His child. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, his, his eyes are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. You picture God as a father stooping down the ear to listen to what His child says. What a beautiful picture. And John wants to begin this whole section by saying, this is who you are. You are children of God. You may recall in John chapter 1, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, born not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The ability, the power to become sons of God. Of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Doesn't get any better than that. The inheritance that we have awaiting us. So, who we are, we are children of God. In the second place, notice what we shall be. When He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You know, sometimes we try to paint a picture. What does our Lord look like? What are some of those qualities of him? And of course, you can look all throughout Scripture and get an idea. Isaiah 53, no beauty that we should desire him. And then you look at Revelation uh, chapter 1, chapter 4, and look at that amazing description of the lamb who had been slain. What's he going to look like? All kinds of different pictures and ideas throughout history. But on that day, we won't have to wonder anymore. We shall see him like he is or as he is. But then notice that small phrase. We will be like Him. What is that going to be like? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit something that's incorruptible. These bodies that we have right now, they're going to return to the dust. The Spirit's going to return to God who gave it, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. This body right here is going to be gone one day. But the soul is going to move on. We shall be changed to be like Him. 
If you will, keep your place in 1 John chapter 3. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. I want you to notice a phrase that Paul uses here. Thinking about who we are now, how we're living now, but then what we shall be and who we shall be. Philippians chapter 3, beginning there in verse 20. Paul is talking about those whose mind is on spiritual things as opposed to those whose mind is on the earthly things. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the next phrase. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Again, that ought to excite us. Who we are right now, we are children of God. And we enjoy all the blessings that come with that. All spiritual blessings found in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 If you've obeyed the gospel, guess what? You're in Christ. Galatians 3.27 Which means you're the recipient right now of all spiritual blessings. But it pales in comparison to what it's going to be like on that day. When we shall see Him like He is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, we which are alive and remain will meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I can't wait for that day. You see, the judgment day is not something that we need to fret over. It's something we need to look forward to. My heart needs to be awaiting that, eagerly awaiting, as Paul said, that time. John says, this is who you are, you're children of God. This is what you shall be. You shall be like Him. But here's a very important conditional statement. This is what we must do. If I'm truly a child of God, and if I'm truly going to be with God forever, this is what I must do. Everyone who has this hope, what hope, John? The hope of seeing Him as He is, the hope of being with Him forever. If I had this hope within me, I need to purify myself just as he is pure. I want, I want to give you this phrase. This is something that I learned in school. It's something that stuck with me a lot. I want us to think about it for a second. Hope inspires purity. What is the biblical definition of hope? It's not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is desire plus expectation. I desire to be with God, and I have an expectation. Why? Not because of my goodness, but because the Bible tells me so. Here's what God has done for you. Here's what He asks in return. You do what God says to do. You meet those conditions from the heart. What can you expect? What can you desire? To be with Him forever. That's hope. But look what that hope does. It inspires a pure way of life. Hope inspires purity. Second, salvation demands purity. I have to be pure if I'm going to be saved in the end. Because no impurity is going to be in the presence of God. I've got to be pure and I've got to maintain that purity. But then notice that Jesus manifested purity. What does the word manifested mean? He, means he made it known to the world. You want the perfect picture of purity? Look at the Lamb of God that we sang about this morning. Holy, harmless, Separate from sinners, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. Jesus, and the perfect picture, is purity. But what did Jesus teach about being pure? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that imply, brethren? 
What about those who are not pure in heart? Will they see God? Here's the emphasis then on what we must do. We are children of God now. This is what we look forward to. So this is what we must do every single day that we live our lives. I need to strive for purity. Why? Because I want to be with God. I want to go to heaven. I want to see him as he is. I want to rejoice with all those who've gone on before me. And if I want to do that, I must be pure. Keep this thought in mind. When we obey the gospel, our souls were purified. 1 Peter 1.22, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth. So you obey the gospel, I obey the gospel. Our souls were purified, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Acts 22.16, Revelation 1.5. All of my past sins are gone, buried, done away with. That's wonderful, that's great. But I need to maintain that purity. Because the Bible is very clear. Yes, you have a clean slate. Yes, your soul is pure. But if you're not careful, you go right back into the world. And now your soul is polluted yet again. 2 Peter chapter 2, 20-22. They have known the way of righteousness. They have been cleansed from the filth of the world. Gone right back into the world. Like a sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Peter says it'll be a lot worse for those who do that. It'd been better that they never knew the way of righteousness than to know it and then fall away. So it's really an exhortation. Yes, it's an encouragement. This is who we are, but it's also an exhortation to remain pure. So the language here emphasizes this is a continuous action. Have you noticed so far in our study that John writes a lot about continuous action? If we say, if we keep on saying, if we walk, if we keep on walking, He's, he's pointing out that this is not a one-time thing. Keep on walking in the light. Keep on confessing Jesus is the Son of God. Keep on being pure. And that's, of course, the word here. This is the language that emphasizes this verb in this present tense. Keep on keeping yourself pure, yourself pure. How do I do that, John? Keep on walking in the light. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. 1 Timothy 5, 22, Three small words. Easy to understand. Hard to apply. Keep yourself pure. That's Paul's message to Timothy. Timothy was going to be an evangelist. He was going to be a worker for the Lord. Keep yourself pure. That is the challenge. That is the exhortation. When we think about our condition, who we are, what we shall be, and what we must do, let's make sure as children of God that we are pure in heart to be pleasing to God. In the next place, let's consider the word confirmation. Confirmation, verses 4 through 10. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested and might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. You might be thinking right now, John, wait a minute. Back in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we can read the words, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. So do we have a contradiction? Should we just throw out the book of John? First John, should we just throw out the books of the Bible? 
There are some critics of the Bible that they, if they think they have a contradiction, they say, just throw it out. So is there a contradiction, or should we understand what John is saying here about a child of God? Let's dive into this a little bit closer. First of all, it's important to know what sin is. Sin is defined by John as the transgression of God's law. The word sin carries the idea of missing the mark. So here's God's bullseye. Here's the target. And I shoot at the target and I miss. That's the idea of sin. To miss the mark. So sin is defined as missing the mark that God has set forth. But notice the word commit. We just talked about how John likes to use present tense words. Keep on walking. Keep on confessing. Here's the word for commit. Keeps on committing. Does that help a little bit with, with the understanding of what John is getting at? He who has been born of God does not keep on committing sin. He doesn't keep on living a life of sin. Why? Because that old life of sin is dead and buried and gone. That's not who he is anymore. That's not who she is anymore. That old person of sin is, is gone. That's not who that is. And yet, if we're not careful, you know what we can do? We can go dig up that old person of sin and bring him right back into fruition. Commits, keeps on committing. So we think about the word confirmation. How can we have confirmation that we have been born of God? Because here's the point John makes. You've either been born of God and you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. What's the difference? Is there a difference? Let's think about what he says. First of all, this idea of being born of God. Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he shall not see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3, and as well as verse 5. James 1, 18, been begotten of God by the word of truth. And of course, we, we mentioned Romans 8, 16. We are the children of God. We've been born of God. How can we have this confirmation? Number one, he who abides in Christ is one who is truly a child of God. Look at the language here, verses 4 through 6 again. He says, you know that he was manifested, talking about Jesus, to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. So, again, what is John saying? Does he say that as a Christian it's impossible for you to sin? And if you do, that means you're not truly a child of God? No. That's not at all what that means. It means I can't keep on living in a life of sin and claim to be a child of God. I cannot do that. There is a difference between a sinner and a Christian. And we need to understand that. Because if I'm not careful, I'll say, well, I'm just a sinner. So what I'm about to do, well, that's just who I am. Absolutely not. That's who I was. That's who I was. But now I'm not a faithful sinner. I'm a faithful Christian. If not, there was no change. So as a faithful Christian, does that mean I can mess up and still be a faithful Christian? Yes. 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we lie. But if we confess, when we do mess up, we handle it God's way. We don't mess up and say, I want to keep on doing that. I'm going to keep on sinning. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Romans 6, 1 and 2. And so we don't have a contradiction here. We have confirmation. We're the children of God. Why? Because his seed remains in us and we don't keep on living a life of sin. When we sin, we don't embrace it. We fight against it. 
We don't embrace, oh, I'm a sinner, so I guess I have to. No, you don't. You say no to that. To the best of your ability, you fight off temptation. You do not have to give in. Didn't Jesus give us the perfect picture of how to fight temptation? Matthew chapter 4. It is written, it is written, it is written. Your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Let's think about this and make sure that we're speaking where the Bible speaks. If I look in the mirror and I say, I am a sinner, I have missed the point. I have missed the point. I look in the mirror and say, I'm a Christian. I've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been covered in his blood. My God says through the pages of scripture that I'm his child. I can't be both. Let's make sure we understand that distinction because it can lead to a lot of problems if I don't have that understanding. So one who abides in Christ, second one who practices righteousness. Again, this is a continuous action. Look at verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness, keeps on practicing righteousness, is righteous just as he is righteous. Do we have a contradiction with Romans 3.10? There's none righteous, no, not one. Wait a minute. What does John say? If you keep on practicing righteous, the Bible says that's what you are. You're righteous. Now, is there any righteousness apart from Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. But in Christ, if I do what God has said to do, he sees me as one who's righteous. Think about this connection. Psalm 119, 172. All your commandments are righteousness. So if I keep the commandments of God, what would that make me? Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35. In every nation, he who fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. Somebody says, it's not possible to do works of righteousness. Let's throw out Acts 10. Yes, it is. You do what God has said to do as he's revealed it. And you can be who God says you can be. How can we know that we've truly been born of God if we abide in Christ? Got to be in Christ first, but then I got to stay there. I got to keep on practicing righteousness. But here's the point again as we make this point about forsaking sin. I can't have one of these without all of these. Does that make sense? I can't have all of these if I don't have one of these if I don't have all of these. I must abide in Christ, and because of that, I must keep practicing righteousness. And if I keep on practicing righteousness, I can't keep on practicing sin. To practice righteousness is to forsake sin. That's what I've got to make sure that I'm doing. So he forsakes the practice of sin. Again, look at verse 9. Look at it very closely. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Well, now that we understand the continuous action, what does that mean? He who is born of God does not keep on making a practice of sin. He does not keep on living in sin. For, here's why, his seed remains in him. And he cannot keep on living in sin because he's been born of God. There is the confirmation. that you're, We're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. How do you know? Do you abide in Christ? Do you keep on practicing righteousness? Are you forsaking the practice of sin? If so, you are truly a child of God. But what happens if I fail in any of these? I'm not truly his child. I'm not truly a faithful child, and I need to repent and make changes and to get back on track. 
You think about the blessed man in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in the season. His leaf shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. What does that mean? They're not meditating in the word of the Lord. They're not striving to live godly. So Psalm 1 and verse 6, it says there's a big distinction. The ungodly will perish, but the godly will live forever. There's your point. There is a difference between the godly and the ungodly. You can't be both. I've got to make sure that I understand that distinction. Again, his word. What does Jesus say is the seed? Luke 8, 11. Now the seed is the word of God. His seed remains in you. The word of God remains in me. We read that from Ephesians 4, let him who stole steal no more. Why not? Because the Bible says that's not who I am anymore. I can't keep on stealing. Why? Let him who stole steal no more. There's the new man putting off the old. It ties in beautifully with the scripture reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. It's not who I am anymore. There is a confirmation then to be a child of God. And here's the point as we wrap up this section. If we want to be with Christ, and be like him, we cannot, let me emphasize that, we cannot, we cannot continue in sin. If I'm living in sin, living in that action, I've got to get out. I've got to get out of the sinning business. Because when I obeyed the gospel, and I confessed that Jesus is the Christ, I repented of sins, and when I was baptized into Christ, buried in that watery grave, all of my past sins are gone. And when I rose up, I didn't come up a sinner. I went down a sinner, but I didn't come up a sinner. I rose to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 through 6. Do we believe it? Are we practicing that? There's the confirmation. In the next place this morning, continuing in 1 John chapter 3, let's think about this word compassion. Compassion. We're going to read a little bit different as we kind of bounce through this. First, let's read here verses 11 through 15. And then we're going to jump down to 17 and 18. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? His works were evil. His brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Dropping down to verses 17 and 18. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. Compassion. Of all the words to describe our Lord and his earthly ministry, that could sum it up. He was a man of compassion. Jesus saw people in need and he helped them. You and I need to understand that he saw us in need. We were lost. We were dead in sin. But he loved us and he died for us. Compassion. First, there is the encouragement. Love one another. How? In deed and in truth. Not as Cain. I love one another. I am putting others before myself. That's the idea of agape love. Selfless, sacrificial love. Is there anybody that gives me the example of a selfless, sacrificial love? Look no further than Jesus Christ. 
That is the encouragement that he gives for us to be compassionate. Again, the example, not as Cain. You want to talk about a contrast. Cain, look at what he did. Going back to Genesis chapter 4. Did he exhibit love for his brother? Absolutely not. But John makes a very powerful point here. He says, if you don't love your brother, you are a murderer. If you don't love your brother in Christ, you're right there with Cain. And so the encouragement is to love one another, not just say it, but show it. Not as Cain did. He didn't show love. He showed a, a lack of love. But then here's the expectation. He says, do not marvel if the world hates you. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? If they hate you, understand they hated me first. If you are living a godly life, the ungodly will hate your way of life. If you are living an ungodly life, you will hate somebody who's living the right kind of life. Do we see that in our society today? Unfortunately, yes, we do. The darkness wants nothing to do with the light. On the flip side, the light shouldn't want anything to do with the darkness. There's this, this balance and this contrast, the expectation. First, he encourages us to love our brethren, not as Cain giving us that example, but then expect that when you live a godly life, when you love God, when you love His people, when you love righteousness, and when you hate evil, you're going to be hated for that. It shouldn't be a surprise when it happens. Expect it. Expect it and live for God. That's what we find in this section, the imperative of love. And with that, we come to this final section as we strive to destroy all doubt. Here's the word consolation. Consolation. Now we kind of back up and think about some of the language that we find. Before we do that, look at verse 10 very carefully with me. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Could John have made it any easier for us to understand? Here's the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. If you do not practice righteousness, you're not of God. If you do practice righteousness, you are of God. If you do not love your brother, you're not of God. If you do love your brother, you are of God. John making it extremely simple for us to grasp. But now the consolation that we have as God's people. Look at verse 16. By this we know love. John says, you want to see a picture of love? Look right here. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He laid down his life for us. This is who we were. I feel like I bring this point out a lot. It's something that I think about a lot. Because before I can appreciate the spiritual blessings I have in Jesus, I need to remember my spiritual poverty before Jesus. Someone says, well, I wasn't deep, deep, deep in sin. You know, I wasn't drifting way out into the world. I wasn't a murderer or a thief. Or a, I wasn't any of that. But I need to understand, if I have sinned against God, then I'm lost. I can't try to categorize it and say, well, I wasn't that far. If I'm outside of Christ, I'm dead. 
I need to understand my spiritual poverty before Jesus so I can appreciate the blessings in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 is so clear about that. Paul says, you were dead, dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy with the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, sent Jesus to die for us. By faith and by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're thinking about what Jesus did for us. What's the point, John? The point is that showing love for the brethren is a demonstration of the fact that you have passed from death to life. Jesus demonstrated his love for us, didn't he? Think about Romans 5, 8, 9. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That language is important, while we were sinners. How much more now that we're his children does he love us? Romans 5, 9 through 11. So to hate your brother is to forfeit eternal life. Think of that language. And John is, it, is, is weaving this in with all this, isn't he? How many times have we already read about loving our brethren? You think it's something that was important in the first century? Think it's something important today? Yeah, it's a mark of a true Christian. It's a mark of a child of God. I am to love my brethren. Just like Jesus was willing to lay down his life for me, I ought to be willing to lay down my life for my brother and my sister in Christ. That's the kind of love that's the kind of love that is expected. But that's the consolation we can have that God loves us that much. He showed it. He proved it. Again, Romans 5, 6 through 8. When you think about Cain, going back to that example, Cain took his brother's life. Christ gave, came to give us life, and I ought to be willing to lay down my life for my brother in Christ. That sums up this section of how we are to be. As we close out this morning, we drop down to verses 20 through 24 to notice two quick points before our invitation. Number one, we think about everything we've studied. We are the children of God. This is what we shall be. This is what we shall do. We know that we are no longer sinners. We're Christians, and there's a difference. I'm not a child of the devil. I'm a child of God. And I show that and I prove that by the way I love him and keep his commandments and the way that I love my brethren. But it comes to this right here, verses 20 through 23. Notice the confidence that we have toward God. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. How can we have it? Verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What's the flip side of that? If I'm not living in harmony with his will, if I'm not walking in the light, if I'm not showing love for my brethren, can I expect that whatever we ask, we receive from him? No. No. Because the condition is that we keep on keeping his commandments and we keep on doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. I need to live in harmony with the will and the word of God if I'm going to expect these wonderful blessings. But that's the confidence. Look at verse 23. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Don't you love how John writes? He's weaving all this together, and then he just brings it home. Of all that we've studied today, here's the consolation we can have. We have confidence. Why? 
Because God has revealed what we should do. We've responded by faith to do what God has said to do. We are loved by God, and he's given us the commandment. Keep on believing that Jesus is the Son of God, and keep on living with that truth in front of you. Keep on doing that and love one another because he gave us that commandment. Finally, we have confirmation from God. Verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Do you ever remember reading that in John's writing? John chapter 15, right? I'm the vine, my father's the husbandman. He who abides in me keeps on abiding in me. That's what John emphasizes, what Jesus said. He who keeps on keeping his commandments keeps on abiding in him and he abides in him. So I abide in Christ, Christ abides in me. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Those who obey God. Look at the confidence. Look at the confirmation we can have. Again, Romans 8, 16 and 17. The spirit bears witness with, not to, not a miraculous direct thing. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Here is what the Holy Spirit has revealed in the New Testament. You can lay that out. Here's what this individual has done. Has he submitted to what the Spirit has revealed? Yes. Then you can have that confirmation. And the Spirit bears witness with us, Spirit. Yes, he or she did this. Did what I have revealed. Did the will of God. And because of that, we can have confirmation. Destroying all doubt. That's 1 John chapter 3. There's no reason that we should have any doubt. Why? Because we're the children of God. Not the children of the devil, children of God. We have a heavenly father who loves us, a heavenly father who demonstrated that by sending his only begotten son to die for us, and a heavenly father who allowed his spirit to reveal truth to us that we can know it, read it, understand it, obey it, apply, and teach it to others. When we put these things into practice, there's no room for doubt, only faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. 1 John 5, 4. Let's keep these thoughts in mind as we live for God every day. Not as children of the devil, not as lovers of the world, but as children of God. God's family with confidence every single day. It may be the case this morning that you're not a child of God. And we've read very clearly the difference. There is a difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. Which one are, which one are you this morning? If all spiritual blessings are in Christ and you're outside of Christ, how many spiritual blessings are you enjoying at this moment? According to Scripture, none. One of those spiritual blessings is the forgiveness of your sins. If you're outside of Christ, you haven't experienced that. You're still dead in your sins. But you can change that today. Because Jesus died for you, you have the opportunity to die to sin Live for him now so you can live with him forever. If you're willing to do that, you can become a Christian today. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You must believe that he is the son of God and that he died for you, John 8, 24. Must be willing to repent, change your mind, change your life. God commands all men everywhere to do it, Acts 17, 30. Must be willing to confess with the mouth, yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Based on that confession, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, have them all washed away by his precious blood, rise to walk in newness of life. Live in such a way that you practice righteousness as a child of God 
Keep on walking the light. Be faithful unto death, and you will receive that crown of life. I don't have any better news for you this morning. That's what God is offering. That's Zion's call we're about to sing about. That's the call that comes from heaven. God has done his part. Jesus did his part. The Spirit has done his part. What about you? It may be the case that as a child of God, you still have doubt. And instead of destroying all doubt, you're allowing it to destroy you. And take away your joy. Take away your confidence. Let's be confident as Christians. Not because of our goodness, but because of his. And by submitting to him every day, have that blessed assurance to keep us moving forward as we are heaven bound. It may be that as, as a Christian, you like that confidence and you need prayers for strength and encouragement. We'd love to pray for you, love to pray with you. Zion's call sweetly rings. Won't you respond? As together we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.